The radical work of mothering is just not recognised, and it is radical work. And there's probably lots of reasons why that's the case, but I think it is because we live in a you know quite a patriarchal society that has you know historically not recognised women's work as you know radical work. And actually, I you know I don't know if it's wildly different in other cultures in, in Eastern cultures or, or not, but um, I also think a lot to do with feminism and women feeling like they mothering is something that perhaps isn't recognised as something worthy because. We are told we need to go out and get jobs and, and, and do well in that kind of very masculine sense of, you know, being successful using air quotes. Or we were told we could do it all and be the mother and be the successful business businesswoman. And I'm not saying you can't, but I do think there's a really big sort of tension between those two things. Welcome to the Reparenting Podcast with me, Melissa Maurice. In these interview episodes, I talk to wellness experts that I feel complement the art of reparenting. We discuss how they've used reparenting themselves, as well as looking at their own childhoods and their approach to parenting their children. This fascinating conversation is with Jossie Cox, who is a birth worker, a yoga instructor and a retreat facilitator that cares deeply about women's health. We talk about how Jossie's journey through the portal of motherhood opened her up to a new belief in herself and her intuition. We also uncover some of society's narratives around death, miscarriage, and what's fundamentally flawed in how we view birth and motherhood. By listening to this episode, I hope you'll be able to unpick any stories that live within you. Jossie also talks very candidly about her troubled family relationships, which opens up a conversation about ancestral family trauma and how she chooses to navigate it. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And if you'd like to dive in deeper with this topic, do check out Jossie's events and retreats and also My Mother's Circle, It Takes a Village. I'm so grateful to have you, Jossie. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So we met a really long time ago. I was trying to work out how long ago it was, maybe like 15 years, something like that. Oh, that long, oh my goodness. <clears throat> but we met at the Winter Music Conference in, in Miami in our music industry days because you were a film director, film producer. It's, yeah, I don't so know what you think. One man band, film Yeah. <laughs> And then we went to Burning Man together. We had some really hedonistic times and then we ended up being pregnant together, which was such a joy. And I just wanted to ask, how has motherhood changed you? Wow, what a question. Um, I mean, I just think it's changed me in every sense, really. I was thinking about this and how obviously your whole sense of self shifts. Um, And I was expecting to have a, a transformation, becoming a mother, but I don't think I really expected it to like really color and flavor everything that I do. And it's not, it's not in a sense of like, all I think about is being a mom and I don't have any room for anything else. It's more that I didn't really expect it to sort of um, shape my sense of self so much and, and for it to inform everything, you know, I do and everything I think about and all the decisions I make. And I don't think I really, um, yeah, expected that, I guess in a more literal sense, it's, it's made me slow down. It's changed me in that sense and helped me, um, I guess, put into practice the tools that I try and teach, which is, you know, fl- letting go, going with the flow and surrendering in. I mean, all that stuff we know we should do, but it's a life's work, isn't it? And having a child is one of the, you know, the main things that can, it, you just have to, don't you? You have to you do those things <clears throat> or you're constantly, you know, 
butting up against um, challenges unless you just try and let go a little bit and go with the flow. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's the biggest shift was um, a transformation of, of sense of self. And then and then becoming a mother and seeing my kids grow up, I definitely have become much more interested in in motherhood as a concept and um, all the layers and all the things that are wrapped up in it. And again, how your sense of self shifts, how this transformation is really enormous, but not quite recognized, I don't think, but in our culture as being this this enormous transformation. And it's not just the moment you give birth. It's then, you know, it's it's the whole period. Of, it's the decades beyond as well. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with the term matrescence, but it's not really a term that's very used in our um, you know, in our language, but it's essentially the process of becoming a mother, just like adolescence is the process of becoming an adult. And very similar things happen to you. You know, your your sense of self shifts, your relationship shifts, um, you your career often shifts, and your you know you go through physical changes and hormonal changes, and you don't feel the same as you did before. So, and that yeah, so I feel like it's um. It's just a very fascinating topic. And um, the more I dive into it and, and speak to mothers about all the different dynamics that happen when you become a mum, the more it intrigues me. Yeah. And I'm so fascinated by that too. And why it is that our culture has downplayed it for such a long time. I feel like there's a renaissance now, isn't there? And like your work is so important in that. And obviously that's the, the work that I'm inspired by as well. But why do you think it is that we've sort of pushed it to one side, this importance, the sacredness of this transition to motherhood? The patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh I mean, the radical work of mothering is just not recognised and it is radical work. And there's probably lots of reasons why that's the case. But I think it is because we live in a you know quite a patriarchal society that has you know, historically not recognised women's work as, you know, radical work. And actually, I, you know, I don't know if it's wildly different in other cultures and in, in Eastern cultures or, or not. But um, I also think a lot to do with feminism and women feeling like they mothering is something that perhaps isn't recognised as something worthy because we are told we need to go out and get jobs and, and, and do well in that kind of very masculine sense of, you know, being successful using air quotes. Or we were told we could do it all and be the mother and be the successful business businesswoman. And I'm not saying you can't, but I do think there's a really big sort of tension between those two things, because I think a lot of women would actually perhaps prefer to spend the first three, four years of their children's lives with their children, mainly perhaps working a little bit as well. But the way our system is set up, you know, you can't succeed in your career that you might love unless you do go back to after six months nine months one year and so that's a real systemic problem you know with childcare costs and just the way the system's set up to not support mothers and fathers who want to do both you know in those early years when your children really need you so I I don't have the answers for that but I do think that um I've sort of gone a little bit off piece there as well but I do think there's a sense of like you know just being a mum is just is perhaps there's a lot of shame around that or guilt and you know I'm not judging anyone's choices I have friends who have wonderful amazing jobs and they've gone back after six months and they're doing both great and that's fine but there is always a little bit of like feeling like you're not doing the best in either field in either sphere and that's really sad I think and I'm lucky that I've cultivated a job where I can almost I can, you know, one feeds the other. And I did I, I did that very consciously. I wanted a job 
that fed my soul, but also fed my sense of an essence of a mother as, as a mother, my essence as a, as a mother, because I didn't want the two to butt up against each other the whole time. I wanted them to kind of go in to flow in tandem, you know, which is why I decided to work, you know, with women with alongside birth and and beyond. But yeah, I feel lucky in that sense. Not every every woman has a chance to do that. They have a career that's very different and it's difficult to reconcile your new sense of self as a mother with your old life. Yeah, totally. And as you say, there's just not the financial or emotional support. There isn't like societal support for even if somebody does go back to work, it wants to go back to their old job. And I do see a lot of women wanting to have a switch when they, you know, have a baby. But um, a lot of women also want to go back to the job, but then there isn't any real support in that. And there's also real issue around birth isn't there and you did an Instagram post recently about how the NHS is so underfunded and like the midwives are walking out and 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 not just because of COVID but specifically COVID did make birth really traumatic for a lot of women but like birth is just it's lost that sort of sacredness now hasn't it and we've just been shifted into this medical system and yeah anyway you did this really wonderful Instagram post which was equally like fiery and passionate and I wondered if you could just speak to to that and and what do you think is is happening and what can what can we do about it yeah it's really heartbreaking to be honest but um I mean there's a couple of things going on but one yes birth has become so medicalized now and there's an induction epidemic so induction is where you start the labor artificially for all sorts of reasons now but most likely for going over your due date, you know, the baby, the, the date your baby was supposed to be born, according to, you know, medical presumption. There has been a lot of faith lost in, in women and birthing people's bodies, uh, their ability to birth successfully without medical help. So there's all that going on. And yet that's all happening within a, a medical system that's basically on its knees with m- massive underfunding, massive understaffing. I mean, what happened with COVID is that midwives were so overworked and so traumatized by a being overworked, but also seeing all this medical intervention, all these women coming through with um, normal, healthy pregnancies and ending up with cesareans because they have just been put on this conveyor belt of intervention for whatever reason, mainly because it's much easier to manage a system let's say you've got one obstetrician or midwife in one room looking at everyone's monitors on one big computer screen, it's much easier for them to monitor everyone if everyone's on continuous monitoring. So everyone's in the system being managed and um, on this sort of conveyor belt to get the babies out in on time according to their timeframes. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, really quite depressing I mean not to say if you're pregnant right now and listen to this that it's going to be your your experience at all I mean there are some absolutely wonderful midwives out there and there are some brilliant trusts still doing amazing work um or of course you can have your baby at home which would be my uh advice but um or free birth your baby at home as you did right (laughs) yes that's uh, another option another choice Um, yeah I did decide to birth without midwives which might seem radical to some people listening um however I had a very experienced doula with me and my husband, who was also amazing support. The reason I chose to do that was because I could have had some wonderful midwives come into my home, but I would have never met them before. And this is the issue. Before women were, you know, walked through their pregnancy and their births by women who who they knew, maybe family. It would be a, the continuity of care so that when you, you go into labor, your body is relaxed you're with people, you know, the voices that are familiar 
And all that massively impacts how your body responds because it's all about hormones when you give birth. And if there is um, any sort of observation or stress or anxiety, um, that can interrupt the birthing process, interrupt the hormones, and essentially um, adrenaline might kick in and that completely halts the birth process. And that is why a lot of hospital births do end up with more interventions. It's because these women are are going in and meeting midwives for the first time having doctors talk to them prod at them and their system is not set up for that the hormones don't like that they don't respond well to that so I wanted to be in an environment at home with a woman that I knew and my husband and I also had enormous faith in my body I had a very low risk pregnancy I had a very straightforward first birth and I completely trusted my baby my body to do exactly what it was designed to do which it did beautifully and I'm lucky to have a daughter who's now on my back and is nearly eight months old (laughs) sleeping soundly yeah and anyone who's interested can find your birth story on your Instagram and your website as well right you did a whole blog post on it which is really interesting to read and I think it's really about education isn't it and now there's hopefully I'm seeing around me but obviously I'm in a silo but there is a lot more there's a ride of rise of women educating themselves on birth and, and finding their own trust in themselves because the system seems to be failing them. System is failing them, and it's and it's really sad. And what I said about it in my post as well was um, what makes me so angry um, is that birth affects us all. I mean, how we birth, everyone was born right and um, everyone knows someone who's probably either going through that or has been through that recently, and it's. It's basically such an important threshold. And it's not just one day in your life. It impacts your postpartum period. It impacts how you mother, how you parent. It has so many implications that, you know, that experience, that that threshold into becoming a mother, that rite of passage. And if it if you if it's abused and and disrespected, then it really does flavor the entire, you know it can color the rest of your life in, in a negative way if it's you know a traumatic experience and in my post I talked about how you come into the world and how you leave the world and I just feel like birth and death are two thresholds that are very um sort of similar and and, and close you know the, the, the veils are very thin when you give birth you feel very close to your ancestors and there's a lot of um crossover in that sense and I had an experience actually during my birth where I felt very close to some people when I was going through this. I mean, you're basically transcending your normal brain. Lots of weird stuff happens. And um, and these are the two thresholds that I feel are really not respected in our culture. And it makes me really, really sad because there's no, um, there's no kind of care and attention given to these two very important moments in, in, in our lives. And um, I mean, I, often doulas who are birth doulas go on to become death doulas as well because they recognize the 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 similarity in these two um these two sort of portals and want to um yeah sort of walk people through these two um experiences as you go beyond I mean it depends what your view is after what happens when you die but obviously I I really believe that um it's all like a big circle it's all connected and birth and death are very connected so it's a sad situation and I hope things are changing. Like you say, there is education out there and um, there are lots of resources if you feel like you want to do uh, take a different um, approach to your birth rather than just the standard medical route. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can pop some of those in the show notes. But Yeah, for sure. And um, you also spoke really openly about your miscarriage that you had before you had your, your daughter and um 
and quite publicly about it, which I thought was really, really brave and courageous of you because it really isn't spoken about. And I wondered if you just share a little bit about that and, and, and why it was important for you to really share that. Yeah, of course. Um, so I had a miscarriage in between my two children and it was, I mean, relatively late. It was at uh, 10 weeks. So it was just before my 12 week scan, which is sort of the scan that you, you're looking towards, isn't it? To check everything's okay. So, um, I, I decided to, to speak about it openly because I feel like there can be a lot of shame and maybe even guilt around having a miscarriage. And I think the reason for that is because you don't realize how, perhaps how prevalent it is because nobody tells anyone. So there's that. And there's also the support that you, you really need if that, if it happens to you. And if you've not really told anybody, uh, how can you get the support? So I wanted to share it to to show my, you know, my community that um, this happens, this is real and not to, of course, get sympathy or anything, although I did um, get lots of support. I had a lot of people contact me saying, yeah, this happened to me too. And I had no I, close friends, you know, well, well, close acquaintances. And I had no idea. Um, and I think that's a really important conversation to start because, it, it's something that as a woman you might go through and actually I came to pregnancy re- relatively late I mean I was 35 I think when I had my first child and 38 when I had 38 yeah 38 when I had my daughter um so the chances of that happening you know the, the risk do slightly increase it's like anything with um these issues that tend to affect women uh there's not really the dialogue I don't think um around it that there should be and so it was just an example of, of starting that and um and share and sharing my experience I think it's really it's really powerful to share an experience that potentially other people might have been through so they can relate I think it plays into this what you were talking about before about death though isn't it where death isn't isn't spoken about we're not able to be open because it is it's it's a form of grief really it's a loss yeah. isn't it and also uh, you know in England especially we're not great at talking about our emotions we tend to hide no. away a lot and you're I see so this right so much with clients that. go on yeah. no I just you're, you're so right we're, we're scared of death aren't we we're scared of death in all forms and um that's a problem I think <laughs> because it's part of life and um I think the, the miscarriage conversation is part of that it's a obviously it's a very difficult conversation to have and also you know a lot of people wouldn't want to share that and that's okay as well you have to do what's right for you I totally agree. So your focus is on helping women trust themselves and their bodies. Do you have an example in your own journey of what that looks like? I actually, when I got pregnant, I had very strong feeling that I was having a girl. And um, I just felt like I knew it with every cell. I just felt it. I felt it in my bones. And um, and I knew she would be called Moss. And uh, it was an incredible experience in that respect. I mean, really that pregnancy and my decision to free birth was the most incredible um, quantum leap in, in a sense with my intuition and honing my intuitive skills because I really had to go deep and sort of deal with some shadow stuff when I was preparing for the birth because I was, you know, birthing without medical support and that, uh, you know, that there are things that can go wrong which you know obviously can go wrong in any context but um I had to face up to some fears essentially and especially with my partner who was not 
as on board with the plan as I was, let's say. It took him a, a long time. I mean, bless him, he did a lot of work to to get to where he got to on the day of, of giving of giving birth. And he, he was still pretty scared, I think, on that day, but he managed to keep it in and, and not, you know, he supported me from a place of groundedness, which was great. But yeah, I had to really dive deep and I had to really listen daily to my body. And um there was a lot of trust, basically, and I had to really let go of a lot of things which was such an enormous growth um, period for me. It was, it was such a brilliant um, sort of gateway into this uh, distrust in myself and in my, and my, and my decisions and my instincts. And I've got, when I face a decision now and I find it hard, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to kind of gain clarity. I do go back to that day and, and that morning and, and my whole pregnancy. And I think, how did I feel when I was giving birth? I basically just, I was just completely clear and I knew there was no fear at all on the day. I just was going with it to to remind myself of that energy of my birth really helps me in my life now because I know that I had that ultimate trust and that it it worked out amazingly. And it was just the most incredible experience. So it was very useful for me as a um a growth tool, let's say. And I think birth can be like that. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I don't think people understand how how impactful a positive birth can be i mean it can really make you feel just fucking amazing <laughs> but you know months after but also it can impact how you feel you know about your decisions going forward in your life as well um and and, and the word empower is, is kind of overused but it is incredibly empowering to give birth in you know your own autonomy and um from a place of true trust and groundedness and you can have that kind of birth in any contest, let's be fair. It doesn't have to be a free birth at home. It can be anything, as long as you stay at the centre of your experience. It's really inspiring to hear about your birth. But obviously there are other women, myself included, and we were talking about this in one of my circles last week, that had struggle in postpartum, um, you know, struggle because possibly of the birth and also because of lack of support. What do you say to to those women? Like what, what would be your nugget of, of wisdom? Oh. Gosh, I mean, just my heart is with you because obviously, sadly, this is, yeah, it's not uncommon at all. And it's a lot to do with um, how your birth went, essentially, as to how you feel, but not always. I think you often feel robbed of an experience when you imagined your birth or your postpartum period to be a certain way, and it didn't work out like that. And you feel robbed of that precious first months or weeks with your baby. And of course, if you suffer from postpartum depression, that is quite, it's a serious condition I mean it's it's not a nice thing to go through and so what I say to my clients when there's um periods of trauma or in the birth itself or postpartum perhaps like feeding issues breastfeeding can be quite challenging for many women you might feel like you've missed out on things but those gaps can be filled later it doesn't matter when you know if you are missing out on the oxytocin from those newborn cuddles because your baby was taken from you and had to be checked or had breathing difficulties after birth or whatever maybe if you had um you know a colicky baby or a baby that wasn't feeding right and you had to go back into hospital after your birth and it was really traumatic and you were separated from your child that can feel a lot that's really difficult to come to terms with however those hormonal gaps that you are missing out on can be restored months even years later with um definitely talking through your experience but in terms of a physical sense like holding your baby close and restoring that oxytocin and restoring all those um dopamine like hits that you're getting from holding your baby um that can be that can be done later so just because you're missing out on that doesn't mean you've missed out on it forever 
So um, that's one thing I would say. Another thing I would say is for anyone who's perhaps pregnant and listening, I think it's so important to essentially build your village before you have your baby. So I always say to prepare for postpartum almost as much as you're preparing for your birth. So you have a birth plan, like let's have a postpartum plan and um, talk to your partner if you have one about how that's going to look for you. So that if you do come into challenges, you know, if that, then you have all the resources, you have, you're not looking when you're desperate and, you know, emotional. So maybe you've got a lactation um, consultant, you know, already saved on your phone. Maybe you've checked out where your, um, your nearest, um, you know, mama baby group is or yoga if you are into yoga. So that when you are ready to emerge from your postpartum cave, you've got this network already. And actually, we were put on a group by um, a mutual friend when we first had our first children mm. with lots of other mums, weren't we, in East London, who we'd actually, we met them sort of once or twice in some meats and coffee but a lot of us hadn't really connected much with with every single person and yet the whatsapp group was incredibly supportive and it just held us through those first sort of couple of years um asking you know who's going through this what's you know has anyone experienced that and um I think that is really vital and actually even though I've done it all before now I've also got a similar group um with blue and i haven't actually necessarily met another friend of mine put together and it's just very useful to bounce ideas off and just feel like you are not alone in all of these things because honestly communication and talking is just the most key and going back to the original question you know if you are feeling like this is something you are maybe experiencing or you know someone perhaps who's going through a difficult postpartum period it's so important to talk and to know that there is help out there and there are um, charities and organizations to specifically to help um, women going through that that stuff so yeah um, definitely worth preparing in advance to yeah and I think it's also worth saying isn't it that nothing's perfect and everyone has a different struggle in the journey like some people struggle with the birth and some people struggle with the breast people some people are completely fine until like two and then the temper tantrums come or three or four and they get to school and they have to struggle at school and it never really ends you know <laughs> so it's like it's just taking the things they're being grateful for the things that are going well and then remembering that everything changes and nothing's perfect and just finding that support where you can Oh, I think that's so true. I think that's so true. And um, and that you're not failing if things aren't going, you know, the way you you'd imagined or perhaps the way it looks like that person on Instagram's going, you know, there's just, it's probably the most challenging thing you're ever going to do being a mum. I mean, honestly, like, it just brings up so much stuff, doesn't it? And it, it's just, I mean, it can bring you to your knees, it can bring you to your emotional edge. I mean, for me personally, although I adored pregnancy and had two magical births and I'm so grateful and I'm, you know, however, I'm going through a very, very difficult period with my toddler and it, it's, it's really bringing my partner and I to, to the edge of what we thought we could handle. And yet it's still, I think within the realms of normal as being a, of being a parent, you know, it's, it's something that we're just having to navigate and he's just a very um, sensitive little boy and he's, yeah, he feels some really big feelings and, it's very interesting to see how it is a kind of like how it's affecting us as a couple, what it's bringing up in me in terms of like how I deal with it and how I feel about it, what it's triggering, what emotions it brings up. And it's all quite fascinating, but also very difficult. And, you know, at times feels 
almost impossible. And then like everything with parenting, in a moment, it's so impossible. And in the next moment, it's just intensely beautiful and amazing and peaceful. And, you know, you think, God, how could I? There's just so much of this, like, this dichotomy of feeling one thing in one moment. It's this conflicting emotions, like daily. It's like a yo-yo, isn't it? You just feel like you're being pulled from here to there. Um, it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> it really is. It never, never, ever ends, right? But it's beautiful in that. And that's really powerful you sharing about your toddler. And, and sometimes I feel like these things are ancestral as well, right? They come round to help you heal what's unhealed in yourself. And how much, how much do you relate to him as, as, as you as a child? You know, how much do you see if yourself in him? Or, or do you not see anything at no, all? No, I absolutely do. I mean, it's it's quite crazy how similar we are. But I mean, beyond the very obvious stuff, like he's, um, yeah, he he displays some uh, some things that feel familiar in my own character. Like he's he's pretty headstrong. He's very sensitive. Yeah, he sort of wears his heart on his sleeve. You can always tell what mood he's in. He's not very good at sort of hiding his emotions, which I think is actually very powerful. And, and I'm, I'm pleased for that. He, you know, obviously feels safe in displaying his emotions. Uh, but also, like you said, I do feel like, and I feel this with all relationships really in life. He chose me. We're supposed to be, you know, in this relationship, in this dynamic together to grow. And, and with my partner as well, you know, I feel like we're very different people and we, I think we're flung together and as soulmates to help each other grow because he challenges me a lot. And my toddler also challenges me a lot. And, um, I think it's a, when you get beyond the, the kind of the difficulty of it and the sort of, you know, the, the head stuff and all that, when you kind of dig a bit deeper, it's an amazing opportunity to grow, really, if you see it that way. And you kind of question everything and you question why they're making you feel like that. And also just trying to be better all the time. I mean, really, we are just all trying to do our best and trying to be better, I think. Most of us are anyway. And um, there's nothing like having kids to, to sort of speed up that process because you, of course, you want to be your best for them. You don't want to be that that mum that's like continuously losing her temper. Although, of course, we've all had our moments like that. And gosh, me, absolutely. But I'm always wondering, how can I deal with this differently? And actually, that is a lesson, not just for dealing with my four-year-old, but actually in life. Like, how can I be handling this in a more um, emotionally available way in a, co- in a conscious way you know how can I be more conscious to, to what's going on here and not just shoving bits under the carpet or or flooding it with guilt or shame or whatever it might be you know or self-deprecating you know actually no we're all just doing our best and the great thing about kids is that they sort of love you unconditionally so there's always that amazing feeling of yeah mutual not appreciation but mutual adoration devotion really you're just devoted to your kids. So um, it's not like a toxic relationship ever, you know, where it might be with something in adult relationships. It's very uh, innocent. And so it's a lovely, it's kind of a lovely container to grow, really, because it's a very safe space. You know, your toddler's not going to be passive aggressive with you or sort of be, you know, give you a sort of toxic like comment that, you know, is laden with other stuff. It's very open. It's very simple. It's very, you know, it's been it's been intense, but also wonderful. And I think it's I think it bodes well if he's got big feelings. <laughs> I'm trying to tell myself that it's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, it's a natural part of their, you know, awakening and, and yeah. growing up, isn't it? But it could be a lot to hold. And um and I think it's just so wonderful how you talk about how you see 
every opportunity as like a mirror in yourself and a mirror to just become better as parents. And that is the beauty of it. And it's because they're so devoted, right? That you want to do that. It's like, okay, well, this person, this, this, this human loves me so much. I just want to be better for this human. Um, and so when you think about your own parents, like, first of all, does having kids, I know it has for me, does having kids make you really think about what your parents gave to you? And also, what do you see that they sort of struggled with and have passed down maybe to you that you're proud to get and also not so proud to get? <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wildly different, really, because I, my mum had us when she was very young, well, young, and maybe not young in, in her generation, but she was looking in her, she was like 22 or something. Um and we've, I'm very close to my mother and we talk a lot about, you know, those early days because I think she holds a lot of guilt about how she parented us because she was completely ill-equipped. I mean, she had no support from her parents and she was a child herself, essentially. I mean, not really, but my dad also was, you know, fairly young, but didn't have much support from his parents. And so they were just winging it, really. And I think in that generation, my mum was doing a lot of it by herself. I mean, my dad, bless him, like, I don't think he ever changed a nappy. He didn't know how to cook, really. And um he was an incredible father but he was not very present you know in as it would be like my, my husband's and I'm sure your partner too like very present and you know co-parenting essentially but that so, was quite normal in those <laughs> days right for the, for, for the father yeah. not to be present so. yeah oh absolutely it was a completely different yeah different um environment wasn't it and um yeah wildly different to how um our partners perhaps parent now and co-parent my mum had depression. I mean, she was, she was not well for a while. Um, and I think it was all part of her upbringing. Well, definitely it was all part of her upbringing and, um, she had an alcoholic mother, has an alcoholic mother. So there's a lot of stuff that's been passed down. And I, you know, we, are we talk about it very openly a lot and like, you know, want to be the chain breakers, you know, we want to, and she's been an incredible mum to me considering she had very traumatic childhood. Um, and it's interesting actually, because, and I'm sure she won't mind me sharing this, but um, my grandma is still alive. She's in her home and she's, um, I haven't seen her since I was about nine. My mum doesn't see her very often anymore, mainly because it's a very toxic relationship that she does not get, you know, it's, it's, it's something she's had to detach from because it's been very traumatic for her. And I am interested in going with my mum to visit my grandma before she passes away which is probably going to be you know within the next few years not because I want to get something from it but because I feel very strongly that something needs to be healed along that line and I just don't want to be carrying anything that I have a lot of anger towards that woman and it sounds awful to to have that emotion about your grandma but I mean you know we're not see, I haven't spoken to her in decades and I really have only heard you know bad things about her she was not nice to my mum growing up and um she's ill you know she's an alcoholic and she has been for her whole life and so I I feel like there is some something that needs to be resolved I don't know what it is I'm not quite sure what I'm going to say I don't think I need to say anything essentially I just think maybe I need to go and be there and witness my mum being with her and support my mum in that visit and then maybe we just put it down and because I'm very interested in the fact that I was inside my grandma energetically but biologically as well like the eggs my mum had inside of her were inside of her when she was conceived inside my grandma and there is you can't deny that red thread that that energetic connection really and so although I don't feel like anything 
on a sort of very obvious level has been passed down. I feel like clearly ancestral trauma that is present. And I just feel like maybe there's a way of of reconciling that before. And I say before it's too late. I'm not saying that if she dies and I don't see her before she dies, that that's going to be a massive problem. But I'm just wondering if there are ways that, you know, and I'm sure you have a view on this as well, Melissa, but I'm wondering if there are ways that um, that, you, that I can look at that. And um, I'm just interested in, in it as a concept. But um, I'm very aware of um, being present for my child, children, and deal with my own stuff and alongside the parenting. And, and I think my mom felt for a long time that she she hadn't sort of, um, she'd have a space to deal with her own stuff and she had to just put all her energy into parenting. And that that didn't work out because she ended up feeling like she wasn't doing a very good job of course she did but yeah Mm, thank you for sharing that so powerful and so like honest of you you know it's like a tricky subject isn't it to talk about families and and everyone has their own way of dealing with things like that like for some it's like you know they don't want to go and reconcile they feel that's just not the right thing but then for you it's you're really guided by your intuition it feels like but this feels like the healing thing to do and that's wonderful because there's a, there is a lot of science and epigenetics now to show that you know science is, is proving ancestral trauma gets passed down right and that when we just ignore it and you know in, in animals it's different right but in human form if we don't talk about it then it just keeps on ricocheting so I think it's really, really yeah. brave for you to go on that journey and, and, well, and yeah. take and, those steps. And can I just say as well, like, just because I really want to, I'm just so proud of my mum because she has done so much work over the years to look at this and 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 be the best parent she can be to me and my brother. And um, that's what we need. We need the chain breakers because that is, you know, if people don't look at it and don't under, try and understand it and um, it just gets passed down through behaviour patterns and and the trauma just carries on in 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 patterns with with you know ongoing generations so um yeah i'm just i'm really i'm proud of her for for showing up to herself and and you know opening up and being so close to me and my brother as well and talking to us openly about it yeah it sounds like she was a really big healer you know integrator in that ancestral line i'm sure you you will be too in your own way right around whatever struggles that are still remaining and we just do the best that we can right and we're always going to pass some stuff on but it's like we just we do the best that we can and in what we're aware of in the moment so yeah thank you for sharing that and so what's the biggest wish that you have for your children in the future and and how do you kind of keep that intention alive in yourself I feel like our kids have a little head start perhaps more than we did in the sense that they are growing up in a generation that's so much more like emotionally aware than perhaps us and definitely our parents generation and so I would love for my children to feel able to talk about their feelings and I feel like they're in a better place to do that because of you know the fact that things are way more open these days and there's a lot more acceptance and and less judgment and I would really love and I've got to say especially for my daughter for her to have inherent trust in herself I think losing trust in yourself is one of the most sad things that can happen and it's obviously we're all going to go through periods in our life where we lose trust in ourselves I'm not saying you know but she potentially won't and that's probably helpful to do that as well it helps you grow but but to have an inherent feeling of of faith in your decisions and trust in yourself um and 
I, I, I think I grew up a lot with a feeling of like a lot of us, not enoughness. And, you know, I was a very high achiever when I was younger and things like that. And I, I, I don't want that for her. And I, I don't know why I feel very strong. Obviously, I care equally about both my children, but when you have a when you have a child of the same sex, or when you have a, as a mother, when you have a daughter, there's definitely something different that kind of clicks into gear because you're like, you just know what it's like to grow up as a woman in this world, and there are challenges that we understand that you know that aren't going to happen to my son. I just, I mean, God, on the most base level, like judged on appearance, let's say, or the, the challenges she'll have around you know her own fertility journey or navigating motherhood or whatever it might be um so I wish for her to have a a deep trust in herself and you know a sense of intuition that she will hopefully hone throughout her her life and yeah I mean a gosh a vision for the future I just you just want your kids to be happy don't you I mean you just want them to be happy and to find good relationships and to you know, and to grow and to, and this is what's so heart wrenching about being a parent is that, you know, they're going to go through times that are going to, you know, be very, very difficult. And that is very difficult as a, as a mum to even think about. And my son's going to school next year. And I, I am so emotional about the idea of him going through things that I remember going through at primary school, just feelings of oh, embarrassment or yeah, not enoughness or just like, being teased or whatever it is like that pain that he's not really experienced yet I just like oh wrenches my heart but it's all part of it you know yeah it is and I think you can understand the concept before you become a parent that you know that you'll feel their pain but until you actually feel their pain when they go through something that's a, such a visceral experience it's like oh it takes your breath away doesn't it and, and it's really difficult not to step in and try to rescue oh, some yeah. of the things but I do think it's really wonderful that your your gift or your wish for your daughter is like that she finds her intuition and her trust and that's been I feel what from what you're saying it's been her gift to you as well that's very true that is so true and that's yeah I didn't think about it like that but she absolutely did she's woken up she's just woken up just at that moment she wanted to she wanted to hear what you were saying about her (laughs) (laughs) um yes absolutely how useful she she completely did um and so I guess it's natural that I wish that for her thanks Moss (laughs) (laughs) And what about your kind of wish for for women on, on that sort of birthing postpartum journey? What do you what would be your vision for the future for them? Wow, big question. A very similar vision, actually, in the sense of trusting themselves. I think a lot of um, the problem with with birth is that we very readily hand our power over to medical professionals because we don't believe that we can do it. And we've been told our bodies don't work and they're not doing it right and they need help. And the only way of changing that is for women and birthing people to kind of turn around and say, actually, I bloody can do it. <laughs> what are you talking about? I know exactly what I'm doing and birth is actually really normal and natural and safe. So when you say that, it makes me realise actually it needs to be women led, doesn't it? We need to sort of take back our own power rather than being given it. Absolutely. The whole problem with this is that we're looking externally for stuff and for answers. I mean, I say, you know, obviously ed- educating yourself is important. But what I often say to my clients is that I can sit here in front of you and give you all the hypnobirthing tools, tell you all the references and resources you need. But the most important thing you can learn is not something I can teach you. It is actually something, a re-remembering of wisdom that you already have. And you just have to like get rid of the noise and the conditioning and the 
bad birth stories you've heard and all that stuff your neighbors told you about having a home birth and actually just listen in to the wisdom that's already there because it's 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 like a blueprint it's it's like you know centuries old and and every person has it so it's tapping into it basically i'm smiling Um, so much because that is just so wise and wonderful to hear that really gorgeous so can you tell the listeners where they can find you how they can work with you and just anything else that you'd like them to know yes absolutely so yeah i work um with women around birth i teach hypnobirthing and birth preparation pregnancy yoga postnatal yoga and all of my offerings you can find on my website which is yogatheta.com and um i'm on instagram as well uh yoga underscore theta underscore birth and i have a new offering next year actually i'm running three mother child retreats which is a yoga retreat where you can bring your child or children and have childcare in the mornings and practice journal walk and then have some fun bonding time in the afternoon with your with your uh children and um that's just theta-retreats.com if you're interested in in that i'm running two in the uk and one abroad and I'll put all the links in the show notes so that people can dive into that. I love the sound of the, the mother-child retreats. That's something that is just so needed in that that transition to motherhood. So wonderful. Can't wait to hear more about that. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been enlightening, inspiring, thought-provoking, and I'm just really grateful for you to come on to the podcast with me. I'm Thank so you, Jossie. Thank you so much. Lots of love to you. You've been listening to the Reparenting Podcast with me, Melissa Maurice. I'm a reparenting coach and I run various programs on this topic. I also hold a regular mother circle called It Takes a Village. If you enjoyed this episode, please do hit subscribe. And if there's someone you feel would benefit from hearing it, please do pass it on. For more information about the guest on today's show, you can head to the show notes or reparentingpodcast.com. This podcast was edited and produced by Emma Tyndall. Thanks so much for listening.